Hello, and welcome to StumbleUpon. I'm Austin. And I'm Emily. Today, we're going to discuss The Guest, directed by Adam Wingard. As always, there will be spoilers and plenty of swearing. But if that doesn't scare you, then grab some candy corn, pull out your pumpkin, start carving, while we discuss a Halloween bloodbath. Hey, Em, do you want to give us a brief synopsis? Why, yes, I would. A young soldier returns from military service to fulfill his promise to his dead best friend and fellow soldier to check in on his family. David does his best to care for his best friend's family, but his best might not be what the family had bargained for. Bloodbath Central. I think that covers everything in the film. I don't know if we have to go any further. And we're done. Best synopsis ever written. Crushed it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So what did you feel like... Like, I know we've watched The Guest for, for years now. Like, it's been kind of uh, a go-to film whenever we've felt a little bit, like, off or needed something that just kind of, like, reorganizes our mood. But how did, like, how when you watch The Guest, what, like, what is the primary feeling that you have when you see it? Joy. <laughs> the Guest brings me gobs and gobs of joy. Why? Well, I mean, first off, the amount of fake blood is epic. Mm-hmm. And I deeply appreciate how much fake blood mm-hmm. there is. The fact that there is there is an absurd amount of Halloween decorations. Uh-huh. I, I mean, second shot, boom, Halloween decorations. And it's really funny that after, the, uh, after our viewing, I was like, was it a Halloween <laughs> It was funny because like, how did you not know they're fucking, every they're, shot? They're fucking pumpkins everywhere. Like the final sequence takes place in a Halloween maze. I'm like, is this a Halloween film? I'm For the Halloween dance? A fucking moron. Every part of the movie. I mean, when, when Anna is just wandering around, uh-huh. she's got on like a Halloween skull scarf. She has skull candy headphones with the big skulls on the side. Like uh-huh. they're like the the makers of the guest, Adam Wingard. And his writer must have been like, we love Halloween more than anything else in the world. And we need to make a movie that mm-hmm. takes place on Halloween and everything is perfect. Although it actually probably takes place a couple days before Halloween. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Point is, they took Halloween decorations to the next level, mm-hmm. which I deeply appreciate it. And, and, and before we get too far into this, let's let's lay out some of the character names just so that like you threw out Anna. Anna is the main protagonist in a lot of ways for the film. Mm-hmm. She is the daughter of Spencer and uh, Laura, and there's also a younger brother, uh, Luke. And then this family has been introduced to a guy named David. And David is kind of in quotes because that's what everybody calls him, but it's not really his name. Like, we're not actually ever sure what or who David is. He'll always be David to me. He, yeah, he, he's called David, so we'll call him David, but that's probably, like, there's a there's a shot in the, in the film that shows that David... And the picture that is associated with that name is not the same person. And so David appears mm-hmm. ready to help his best friend's family yeah. after his best friend is killed in military service. Yeah. The, the film opens with, it literally opens with David on the run. David is running to the house. And I think that that's a really interesting kind of like uh, starting point for the film because in like... If you, the more you watch it, the more you recognize that he is always on the run in this film. He's on the run from his past, whatever that past is. And the film sets that off with the first visual image. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yep. And you get really wonderful clues as to who he is right from the get-go from the military-style boots, the military backpack. Mm-hmm. He, I think he's wearing camouflage pants in that first scene when he shows up. Yep. He's got that nice military haircut. Yep. And, and he knocks on the door of the Peterson household. Uh, Laura Peterson opens the door and he smiles. And and at oh, that and at most that point, charming smile. And at that point, that's when like the thing that you're talking about about joy just sets in with me because there is something about Dan Stevens's performance in this film that is just exceptional and just so much fucking fun. Yes, like he's like it is in a lot of ways for a movie that is as brutal and violent as it is. It's really funny. Like it's, it's so funny. It's kind of like Kind Hearts and Coronets in that way. Like <laughs> it's a really, really like dark, like dark comedy of like this person who is one of the more exceptional serial killers or mass murderers that you could ever come across, who is incredibly charming, uh, who who has a moral code, has goals in mind and objectives to try to get across and Nothing is going to stop him. Not even, it seems, in the end of the film, death. Like, death yeah. Like death is almost like a minor obstacle. No, it's not going to be a problem for him. It is an absurdist comedy. Yeah. That is a bloodbath. Yeah. And a bit of a horror film. Yeah. And it's awesome. It's perfect. Halloween, awesome. Yeah. It's, it, what's, what's also really refreshing about it, and refreshing going back to it, is that unlike a lot of films that I feel like I see now, it's not a slog it's not like we have to know all of David's past and how troubled he was and how he got to this point. There's enough trauma in it, like like dealing with the family and the family, like how the family unit is projected and shown and, and acted out. There is so much trauma obvious in it. But the film is more interested, it seems, in not being light about it and not being dismissive about it, but but recognizing that there is a joy to the absurdity of this situation. Like if you were to take Michael Myers mask off and then he was incredibly handsome and charming. Yeah. And, and and he's not monosyllabic or even less than that. He just wanders around engaging with people doing incredible feats that are both charming and really alarming. Mm -hmm. And you're like, Hey, this guy's kind of cool. Like I would, I would hang out with this guy for a couple hours. I totally want to be friends with David. Yeah. If I didn't know how the movie ended, yeah, or or if I didn't really like take into account like the the obvious problems that he has, like smashing a guy's head into the wall, uh, when when he's kind of confronting his ex girlfriend, like when he's being really threatening but also very charming when somebody says to him, uh, "We support the troops," and he's like, "How." Ooh. And he just stares at this guy and the guy the guy mumbles and stumbles through his like his attempt to backtrack and explain himself. And then he just puts on a smile and says, I'm just fucking with you. That is such an interesting point you bring up that little moment, mm-hmm. because I think what it exemplifies is David's constant search for truth, like mm-hmm. his truth, the truth. Yeah. What is happening? What is actually happening? He's not interested in the nuance. And he's not interested in in how you can justify mm-hmm. what's happening. He wants to know what's going on. What do you actually think? Be straightforward with me. Mm-hmm. Don't mess with me. Don't ever mess with me. Don't lie to me. Yeah. Now his reaction to that is, if you do, I'm probably going to kill you, which is, you know, not reasonable. Right. But 
his code is so structured and so specific. Mm-hmm. It is it is a very binary code. Mm-hmm. Like there is a very there is a very strict like computer like organization to how he's trying to achieve what he's achieving, and it's it's fascinating to to watch because I think David becomes a really really interesting fleshed out character even with this incredibly binary code that he seems to be living by. Like it's not, he's not boring ever Mm-mm. in the film. And, nope. and that's like that, that's for me down to really good writing, really good direction and really good acting. Like it, like it's, it's really well conceived who this person is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything is, this film is crafted so well mm-hmm. from the camera work how they set up the shots mm-hmm. to how they, when they choose to move the camera, how they choose to move the camera, the color scheme of it. Mm-hmm. Um, his piercing blue eyes in the oh, fucking bedroom of his oh dead God. friends. The blue, his blue eyes. I mean, I know they're real, but sometimes I'm like, are they real? Yeah. Dan Stevens. Yeah. Let's talk about you for a second. Yeah. Um, it just, it's, it's incredible. But then also the score. Uh huh. Let's talk about the score for a little bit. Yeah. Oh my goodness, it is so good and brings so much humor to the table. Yeah, it's it's a really pulsating electronic score that 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 like I don't know, like it feels like it fills up my rib cage when I'm hearing it. Like yes. it just it feels like it fills up the room in a real in a really tangible way. And also like for all like there's a lot of like ominous building of uh, electronic music and then hard cuts yes. to something completely different or a, a completely different sound effect. And all of this, like it's part of the reason that I think it's a comedy because a lot of this time, a lot of times there's this really hard score, this really hard driving electronic music. And then you have Dan Stevens just sitting there staring into the middle distance, like a vacant fucking vessel. And it's <laughs> fucking hilarious. It's so funny. It is so weirdly funny to watch this film and just be like, like, so when you were sitting here getting directed and being like, like, what should you do? He's like, just stare in the middle of this. Just sit like, up really straight. Yep. Don't move. Yep. Don't blink. Got it. And go. Okay. <laughs> and it's just fucking weird just to see the guy just <laughs> sitting there staring. And it like, and, and this, and this plays into what em, what you were saying, Em. Like, the fact of the matter is where they put the camera in relation to where he's sitting and staring is really important because if it's too high, we get... His, we get his eyes hooded by his his brow, and we can't see this vacant stare. If it's too low, we're we're looking up at the world above him. But it's so common that when we see him, we're almost on his level, mm-hmm. and and the film is inviting us to be on his level to see, even though he's a, the murderous villain in it, to view this guy as our protagonist oh, that yeah. we're on the level of. And yet, and yet, we almost are always especially with those specific shots, outside of the house. Mm-hmm. So we're panning maybe from Anna's room over to David's room, mm-hmm. um, or we're just catching him in those moments when he's there processing. Mm-hmm. But we're almost, not every time, but a lot of the time outside of the house. Or at least he's in, like, in there's the an obvious framing device. Like, there's this great scene in the film where he goes to a party with Anna, with the daughter, and... uh the, and Anna is absolutely pissed off that he has to join. Like he just, she just doesn't have any interest in him being there. And the uh, the person who's throwing the party is immediately attracted to him. And he and, and Anna passes through to to find her boyfriend in the party. Mm-hmm. And uh, and David offers to help pull in a couple of kegs. 
which he does in the most remarkable way, carrying one on his shoulder yes. and one just in his other arm. Yeah. Just And he just walks into the party and asks, where should I put these? So and, and he's framed in a door frame. Like he's framed within the shot. Like this wonderful. In the archway of yeah, the room. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In like he's he's framed in this beautiful tableau that makes it more comical because you're just like, am I looking at a painting of a guy just mm-hmm. holding fucking <laughs> kegs? Like David. It's like Dave. What? Oh, and his name is David. Yep. I was just thinking of the statue of David in yeah. Florence. Mm-hmm. And then he's kind of in the same pose. Yep. And his name is David. So he's okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was, I did that research ahead of time. I didn't yeah. just come up with it right now. Yeah. It, it, it's a brilliant bit of, <laughs> of research that you've done to, to get to this point. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. You didn't just watch the movie, write down your no. thoughts. You, you did some work. I did some homework. I traveled. <laughs> you traveled? <laughs> I traveled to, to Florence to oh, look at the statue. Since last night? Yes. Yeah. Oh, nice. And came back in yeah. time to record the podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it is a tableau. It is. And it is even funnier mm-hmm. because you see everyone in the foreground is, you know, Anna's friends and stuff slopping, sloppily sitting on the couches. Yeah. Passing a joint. Passing around a joint, drinking, being super lazy. And here he st- steps in and he's like, mm-hmm. I have the cakes. Yep. And it is uh, hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's like, especially that scene. So like there's that scene. Where he brings it in and he's brings in the kegs and he's in a wide shot. And then almost immediately afterwards, one of the guys at the party offers him a drag on the joint. And uh, and the daughter has passed on having a, a drag at the joint because of his presence, because of David's presence. Mm-hmm. She doesn't she doesn't want to get in trouble or whatever She's the fuck. She's not her, really sure. Whatever her fucking hang up is, well, it doesn't matter. It could be interesting in terms of Caleb and we don't know. We'll go back. We'll circle back to Anna and her relationship with her brother Caleb. Yeah. Okay, so getting back to what I was saying was, uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Like, you just derailed that whole point to make no point whatsoever. High five. You're welcome. Um, Boom. So uh, so it goes from this wide shot of uh, of David holding the kegs and putting it down, getting the joint from uh, her friend, and it goes to a super close-up of him smoking the joint and taking the deepest drag and then blowing it out very calmly and him being incredibly ominous while doing this. Like it's just like watching him. You're like, that is the most threatening drag of weed I have ever seen in yes. my life. And well lit. I, yeah. It, it's exceptionally well lit. The party is well lit mm-hmm. mostly because we need to see what's going on, but it's, it's incredible how, how shitty, like how terrible this man looks like he, like he might be charming, but God damn, I would fucking run away at this point. They just run away from this person because nope. he looks he looks threatening as all hell. I'm going to settle in. Let's see where this goes. All right. <laughs> no, absolutely. So his his he is quite threatening. Mm-hmm. And it is con- contrasted at almost every turn with his charming. Yeah. So it goes it goes back and forth, back and forth. It's almost like whiplash through the film. Yep. Um and I think that's also part of the comedy. Yeah. Uh, and also part of the binary nature of of his character like he's he goes from one one rigid reality to another like like speaking to that point directly is a, a scene earlier where he takes the uh, the younger brother Luke to uh confront the bullies that have been beating Luke up at school mm-hmm. and David like so the first time David meets Luke it's right after he gets uh, uh Luke gets slammed into a uh 
uh, a locker and comes home from school with his mom. And Luke tells him a story about being hit in the face with a football. And David's response is, that could happen. Mm-hmm. Which, like, no, it couldn't. No, it fucking couldn't. Like, there's no way that he believes that in any way. So the next day, David, because he's, you know... He has decided in a lot of ways to make this family's happiness his mission. And however he can make their lives happier, he is going to do that. Mm-hmm. He picks uh, Luke up from school, goes to a bar, and proceeds to uh, order drinks for the other high school kids who have shown up at the bar or who they follow to the bar. Mm-hmm. He orders them uh, blowjob shots and cosmopolitans mm-hmm. and knowing full well that that's going to cause a fight and there's kind of a nice like symmetry to this binary thing of being like i'm gonna do something jokey and i'm gonna back it up with something incredibly violent mm-hmm. like almost all of his actions are are similarly paced there's something really jokey followed by violence or the threat of or or reversed like the, when i was talking about mm-hmm. the uh the we support the troops. Mm-hmm. His incredibly mm-hmm. aggressive response yep. to follow up with the joke. Yeah. And, and it also... So like, you are always unstable with him. You mm-hmm. never know where you stand with him. Yeah. Which is where Anna, the daughter, um, is really an interesting character and really like the co-star of the film. Mm-hmm. In that from the get-go, she does not trust David. Mm-hmm. And she is the only one who does not trust him. And she is, of course, absolutely right. Or, not to trust him. Yeah, or isn't immediately won over by his charm. Right. Like, the father doesn't trust the idea that he's there for a brief moment, but then as soon as he has a beer, he's totally fine. He buys in. Yeah. He buys in. Um, so it is interesting, and, and we, we were discussing before, and, and I think it is quite interesting to think about Anna's reasons. We don't know her reasons why mm-hmm. she doesn't trust him right away, whether she just has an innate understanding and, and good intuition. Mm-hmm. Does she have a really bad relationship with her brother who Mm -hmm. is now represented by david does she have a really complicated relationship with the fact that her brother has died Mm -hmm. um and she's angry and she isn't getting to grieve and therefore is mad that this person is here because she did have a good relationship with caleb yeah we don't know any of the backstory and that is part of what i really enjoy about this film yeah there's 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 things that are hinted at of her backstory but go sorry exactly and and i think what is interesting, what allows us all to have a little bit more fun with this movie is that we don't get into the nitty gritty details mm-hmm. of their past, their trauma. We know that the son is dead. We know that mama is sad about it. We know there's a memorial for Caleb on the um, mantle. And mm-hmm. we know that Caleb's room hasn't ever been changed no. since he left, which right. apparently he left when he was 12 no. because of... The- the design inside like the kid at heart um and so um it's just it to to me i think it's really i think there's something to be said for keeping it so much more vague Mm -hmm. um and letting the complexity of the characters be themselves yeah represented by their their actions that we get to see by getting to know them rather than getting too much backstory which i think we both were discussing uh earlier today about how Cinema now is is getting so bogged down mm-hmm. in melancholy and just just really enjoying soaking ourselves in the sadness of yeah. life, and it is a drag. Yeah, it, a lot of cinema I find is like marinating in misery. Like 
You're like, oh, I like that. It's like soup. Make that a t-shirt. It's like marinating in misery. <laughs> Just a picture of me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, they're like, like, yeah. I, I don't want to go too far down these paths, but like, like watching Dune, like the new Dune, like, yeah, his life sucks. He's a prince. Like his family gets killed. He's a prince. Like. <sighs> It's fucking hard to just be like, okay, like it's really beautiful to look at, but it's really, really hard to, to, to just invest in the idea that everything has to be sad and hard and terrible. Like, why can't films, like, to to sound like an old head for a fucking minute, like, <laughs> why why can't films be like joyful and chaotic, like something like The Seven Samurai, and then you earn this catharsis that you earn the sadness that you feel that the audience feels it at the same time Mm -hmm. as as the characters so you feel like you've then like related to them like related to the journey that they've been on rather than Mm -hmm. be like well and 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 then this person was kind of mean to him so he's very sad Mm -hmm. like it's like i don't give a shit if the character that we meet is really sad not everybody has to be fucking hamlet they already fucking wrote hamlet we don't need hamlet too which we have. Which we have. <laughs> which is a comedy. But, like, the thing is, like, we don't, like, for me, I don't need to have all my characters be so fucking sad. Yeah. I can, like, like there's enough trauma that happens in our own lives, and yet we still put on a fucking face and go outside and mm-hmm. deal with it. Like, mm-hmm. there's something to that that matters as well. Like, so the Anna character, there are hints at her, her sadness. Like, she's taught, like, right after David shows up, she goes to work, and then she hangs out with her with her boyfriend who may or may not be a drug dealer. We're not really sure. He sells some weed. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. But he, like, the the greatest the greatest kind of flaw that he has for me is that when he's talking to her about David's arrival and he's like, it, when it, it's kind of nice. You don't know how it's like to, to lose a son. And she's sitting right fucking there. She lost her brother. Like, mm-hmm. w- like his, his attitude towards her isn't that her grief is is the worst thing or her grief is even worth acknowledging somebody Mm -mm. else's grief is more acknowledging the parents are the priority not the child yeah and i like i feel that being i feel like that's an important element of her character's development like the the moment that she's closest to david ever is after the party Mm -hmm. after she she and david leave the party because she has a fight with her boyfriend and david drives her home in her car and he says to her, after a, a little bit of conversation, he says, if I had a girl like you, I would never have left to go. Like, I would never have left to go to Iraq, I think he says. Mm-hmm. And and you see her feel seen mm-hmm. in a really important way. And then the rest of the film, like, she's trying to see him in some way and see him for who he actually is, mm-hmm. which... In in retrospect, it's probably the worst thing that happens to her in her film in the in the entire film. Not him knocking on the door, but her just trying to search out what he is because she makes a call. The uh, authorities come to get him, and he murders everybody. This and in is su- true. and not to victim blame here, on- which we shouldn't do. Yeah, but it is her fault. <laughs> well, he was killing a lot of people yeah. prior to her starting to investigate who he was. But he wasn't killing her family. True. Yeah. Just everyone around her yeah like her friends her dad's boss and then her dad gets promoted because he killed the boss dad gets promoted and then her boyfriend goes to jail because 
David plants obviously plants the gun yeah. on uh, oh. on him yeah. that he killed his friends with. So you know he's he's not a good person to have around in the long term. No, because you don't know when you're going to piss him off and it's going to go sour for you. He, he might, did try to blow up her diner. He no, he did blow up the diner and he oh. killed her after he shot her friend in the heart. Actually, that's true. That did happen. And I will say it might have been my favorite performance ever of someone throwing grenades oh, was God. his expression. <laughs> Dan Stevens' expression is he throws the grenades and he's just like, I don't want to do this. You are making me do this. God damn it. Let me blow some people up. And it's like, I have never seen somebody more annoyed at their job uh-huh. than David at killing people. It was fantastic. Yeah. I, like David might be the best person that I ever have seen to be an acquaintance. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to. I don't want to be his friend. Don't get, t- don't get tight. Like, I don't want to know anything about you, man. Like, he he proves to me, like, maybe I should just have acquaintances. Maybe I shouldn't <laughs> know people well because if I know people well, then I'm gonna know that there's something about them that I may or may not like. <laughs> but if you're an acquaintance, you're at arm's length. I don't have to fucking know I, that. He killed a lot of acquaintances too. Yeah. You well, know, uh, it's, this is not a good system. Maybe I just don't have any friends, <laughs> and I don't have any acquaintances. Then, there like, I I, I I isolate myself just in this room and just. <laughs> Watch movies and, and, and podcast and and never interact outside of it. <laughs> this seems wise and safe. So what would you say are David's goals? I think David's goals are honestly just to make sure that the family is happy. Like, I don't think that he is successful at achieving those goals in a, in a global sense, but in a in kind of a, in a minutia way. Like in an immediate it, way. Yeah, he's. I think he's trying to be like, hey, so Spencer, the father... Is unhappy and he thinks that his wife thinks less of him because he can't he doesn't have a, a a college degree and that he's not making enough money. So I'll do this simple act of murder suiciding his uh his bosses and um and then he'll he'll be able to achieve that job mm-hmm. and, and and his wife will be happier and he will be happier. Like I will teach Luke how to use a knife. So that the next time the bullies pick on him, he can bring a knife. And if they take the knife, he can burn down their house with their family in it. Because as he says, what's the worst that can happen? It's not great logic or even good logic, but it's his logic. It was so funny. Mm -hmm. It was so funny. His his jumps to what you will do to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's he says it all the time. He's always doing he's always making clear what his motives are. Yeah. But it's so huge that Uh everybody just is like, oh, okay, ha ha. Yeah. (laughs) And and there's something really earnest about the other moments of of his choices. Like, he'll say something like that, or he'll be incredibly threatening, like he does to Anna when he finally figures out that she is acting out according to what he wants and trying and bringing some unnecessary attention to him. He's like, don't worry about it. I'll leave. I'll leave in a couple days, okay? And then she just stares like, okay? Mm-hmm. And she agrees, and he gets up and leaves and finds the mixed CD that she made. And he's, and he's so, so happy. He's so excited, so enthusiastic. It's almost childlike, his attitudes. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a strict viciousness, and then this childlike beauty or, or acceptance of, like, small things as being the most joyous. Like, that is really, really endearing for him. Or when Luke stabs him to death, and he's like, he's like... Thumbs up. He gives him a thumbs up and says, I don't blame you. I'm not mad at you. You did the right thing. <laughs> you did the right thing. And he dies. And you're just like, 
what is this dude? He's amazing. I do think that's an interesting perspective that that he's childlike and and really young childlike. Mm-hmm. So almost thinking in terms of toddler esque. Yeah. In terms of the violence that you can get, they're little, so it's not you know mm-hmm. you're not like oh my god you're murdering people because they're not. Yeah. But the little toddlers they get so there's so much feeling and so much rage. Mm-hmm. The difference, of course, I would say though, um, in contrast, is that he's so he's so controlling of it yeah so he the emotions never get the better of him no he's so in that way he's not childlike at all he's more robotic right he's programmed as they they say he's programmed but he's also not like a sociopath not at all like he feels like i actually believe that he feels bad for having to kill peterson parents yeah i think he's very specific code yeah and he and he's programmed to follow this code and he knows what he has to do Mm mm-hmm to keep going. And I don't even think it's necessarily like a survival. It's like, this is what you do. Yeah. It, so this is what I'm going to do. It's almost like getting back to the conversation about Anna and her trauma. Like, it's almost like he's has to accept these traumas that he must inflict. Like, he's going to carry those burdens for a really long time. And he's going to try to, in the next place that he goes, he's going to try to do the best he can mm-hmm. to be the best person he can. But the best person he can has a very low ceiling. Mm-hmm. It includes a lot of murder. Yeah. And so he can't, he's not going to, he's not going to achieve greatness and kindness and wonder and beauty out in the world. He's in not going to change. No, he's just, he is this kind of terrible fucking creation. I kind of wonder if we've caught him at, honestly, his best. Mm-hmm. It would be very interesting to think about David as this is his best moment. He, from what I'm just assuming, my mm-hmm. um, guess would be, that David didn't grow up in a traditional nuclear family. Yeah. That he didn't have, maybe he didn't have parents that were present. Mm-hmm. And he didn't get to cook dinner with a parent every night or have a beer. Yeah. He didn't get to have Halloween decorations and make uh, pumpkins. He didn't get to have a brother and a sister that he took care of and protected. Yeah. You get this real sense that he's like finding so much joy in making dinner with mom and hanging up the laundry and picking up the kids from school and teaching his brother how to be, you know, protect himself from bullies. Like there's this real sense of, of joy. Yeah. And like, what if this is his, his one moment where he gave himself the freedom to be part of a family that he thought maybe he could continue to come back to and, and be part of. Yeah. And from here, I don't know where he goes or what he does. Well, it's almost like it, what's interesting about this as well about what you're saying or what it strikes me to think about is it's almost like this film is a kind of retelling of of Frankenstein. Mm. But after after Frankenstein builds the monster and the monster lives, like David the, is the monster. David is the monster. Like Lance Riddick's character uh is Frankenstein. Is Frankenstein. <gasps> like and that we're watching a film version of Frankenstein lear- uh, Frankenstein's monster learning how to exist in the world like these are the things you do these are the things that i know that i was i was built to do i was created like this is just the prometheus uh the lighting of the the uh, of the world or Mm -hmm. lighting of the match or whatever the fuck it is this is him in the world for the first time since he's been created even if like you think you could think about it almost as like a sequel because they talk about a sequel to to frankenstein because they talk about David was supposed to die in a fire. Mm-hmm. And and it, I'm thinking of a sequel in the sense of the the 
the, the movies. Like the townspeople show up at Frankenstein's castle and burn it all down. David evolves out of this, uh, out of the rubble, has disfigured some of the the corpses so that he can so that he can survive. Mm-hmm. Like he's more uh, intellectual or ambular. What if Frankenstein's monster? was made by a corporation with military aspirations. Yeah. And here's your answer. Yeah. It's it's because he has the heart, I think. I think there's a lot of heart there in yep. David. Yeah. And and looking at like how looking at how he interacts with everybody, there's a there's an amount of kindness that he has. Like there's an amount of, there's a there's an extreme amount of kindness that he gives to the mother to uh to help her with her traumas. Like the first time we see the first time we see her, she's sitting alone, staring at the memorial for her son. And we don't ever know how long the son has been dead, uh, but it's not that long. I don't Mm-mm. feel like it's that couple long. Couple weeks, couple months. Yeah, it, it within a year really is what it feels like to me. And he's just like, she's alone and and sad. Mm-hmm. She's alone and sad. And, and he's there at the door and he brings her a sense of life. He brings her a lot of hope with the fact that mm-hmm. he can bring an element of uh, her life back to life mm-hmm. in a way. And then there's something fascinating as well about how everybody stares at David. Like the first time Luke sees David, they're sitting across from each other at the table and David's just staring at him. And, and Luke has this befuddled look. Uh, the way that Spencer interacts with David the mm-hmm. first time is like, like he's standing and nervous, and he doesn't know what to fucking do. Like oh, that so, he's actor like, "Is fantastic." Yeah, I I fucking love Leland Orster. Like he's so good. And, and like he he's so like he's so nervous. And he's like, "Do you want to have a beer?" No, that's great. And he just like he mm-hmm. just has no idea. And then the first time that that Anna really spends time, any time looking at him, is like is the scene where he's coming out of the bath, and it's just it's just. Like it's just a, a towel drop away from porn. It's awesome. It's well, I think it's also the counter to her opening shot, mm-hmm. where it's the slow pan up. Although it's not as slow as you'd think it would be, the slow pan up of Anna asleep on the bed, mm-hmm. um, in in a position in just in a really unrealistic way. Mm-hmm. Nobody sleeps on top of their covers with their clothes on. Yeah. Um. So overnight, all night long. Yeah. yeah. Uh. So they pan up on Anna, and it's a very you know sexualized shot of her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they do the counter, but they actually linger so much longer on Dan Stevens than they did on, yeah. on David than they did on, on Anna. Yeah. Something that I feel kind of funny about is the fact that it almost looks like the bathroom needs the moment to breathe because like, <laughs> all the steam, the comes, steam out. comes out. The so funny. It's like, hold on, hold on. I need a moment. <laughs> like, whoa, God, did you, know who, did you know who was in here with me? It was this fucking guy. Like. <laughs> And it also is foreshadowing uh-huh. for the Halloween dance with yeah. all the smoke and the sexiness and then the murder. Yeah. The smoke, sexiness, and murder. Smoke, uh, uh, sexiness, and murder. Of the bathroom. The guest. Yeah. I guess what I'd say is everybody looks at him. Like in a way that like, when you look at coming back to the the, the Frankenstein kind and Frankenstein's monster kind of metaphor, everybody mm-hmm. looks at Frankenstein's monster recognizes what they see as humanoid, but is terrified of what it is. In the same way, they all look at David, they recognize what he is, and and all of them have the same sort of immediate response of concern. He is able, David is able to assuade a bunch of this concern through his charm, his uh, sir, ma'ams, like his, his 
his training, his like the way that he's been programmed. But that concern is proper because he is he is in a lot of ways no different from a monster. Yeah. I I really like this analogy of him being Frankenstein's monster because he doesn't have a past. No. We know nothing of it. And we've been told by Lance Riddick's character that he is a medical experiment that mm-hmm. went wrong. Yeah. And I, that's, it's just, it makes complete sense when you put it in that way. Mm-hmm. Only he's incredibly charming and sexy. Yeah. So what would happen if you did that? This would happen. It would be bad. Yeah, I can imagine the pitch right now. So we have a sexy Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> Go. Go. Like, it was a very successful book. No, no, no I think we should. Yeah. It, it, no, no, no. We're gonna re, we're gonna rework it. And it's gonna be this time instead of like little knobs on the side of his head and like a scar on the head. He's just gonna be hot. Yeah. Hot Dan Stevens. Yeah. Which I just I love by the way that this is Dan Stevens playing this part because so many of his his portrayals. Although the um, TV show he did Legion. Thank you. That is also like next level intense. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. So he And he, really, really dark. Oh, so dark. But he he's so good at doing both like the sweet romantic Matthew mm-hmm. on Downton Abbey mm-hmm. and then this like this darkness. Mm-hmm. Um his his ability to flip between different kind of characters really is showcased in this. He goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. And and that is really, really impressive. Yeah. Um and, and on a side note, yeah. everyone should know that Dan Stevens is the best audiobook reader of all time. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in Letters to Young Poem, excuse me, Letters to Young Poet by Rilke, he reads it better than anyone else. So, <laughs> pro tip. Yeah, that's your stumble upon poetry, yep. uh, poetry reading. Or, poetry hour yeah. with Emily. Okay, so I think what I want to talk about next is the final scene. Mm-hmm. We're, we're in the school. We go back to the school, uh-huh. which is always, you know, fun. Yeah. Um, and they've built this incredible maze that's just absurd. Mm-hmm. And um, we're we're in there with Lance Riddick and Anna, and Luke is in there, and we know that David has arrived because he's put on mm-hmm. her CD yeah. that she made him. And it's really fascinating to me how bloody this final scene is, mm-hmm. but also quiet. Mm-hmm. It isn't screaming. And crying and running around and crazy. It's really intense, really quiet. And Anna is really clever, mm-hmm. as well as Luke. Yeah. Both of them are very clever, almost as if they've learned from David, mm-hmm. but also who they are themselves beforehand, not to yeah. give him all their props. Yeah. These two are survivors. And I love, I love how well they handle themselves in the situation, mm-hmm. that they succeed. That they have each other's, like, big sister energy is flying in here. Yep. Um, I, I also love that coming into the scene, we see David kill both of their parents, but they never see their mm-mm. parents dead. They're just told this. And how Luke responds to the information. Because Luke, throughout the film, has become friends, a real, like, seemingly mm-hmm. become friends with David. Uh, at least Luke believes he's friends. Oh, 100%. I think David believes it, too. And they become friends, and he's like, "I don't believe that David would do this." And and his sister is like, "He did." And there's just a nice beat of him of of Luke recognizing that his allegiance is to his sister. Yes, it isn't to this new body. It's he doesn't do something that's so out of character. Like he spent his whole life with his sister. Why would she lie right now? 
And then he implements the things that he has learned from David, which Mm -hmm. is use the knife to stab him in the back and stab him in the heart and try to kill him. Mm -hmm. And, and Anna uses her intelligence, as you were saying, to, to trick him Mm -hmm. and to say, you killed my parents and his response, because I do believe that at at his core, David likes these kids. Mm -hmm. He likes everybody in the family. He's just like, yeah, I did. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's and you feel that he's sorry about it. Yeah, and you can tell he's so proud of Anna for tricking him. Uh huh. By getting the gun and using her footprints in the mud and taking off her shoes in and the hiding blood. them. Yeah. Yes, the footprints from the blood, um, hiding them and shooting him and, and not letting him, him get close. No, she's like, she does it right away. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, there isn't hesitation with her. Yeah. Which is again impressive because she did not see what he did. Right. So. You know, I think that's really important. Her instinct to trust herself mm-hmm. from the beginning is what keeps her alive. Yeah. And her brother alive. Yeah. And everybody dismissing her along the way is why they're dead. Yeah. And, and there's something in that moment as well that I like we've chatted about briefly together. In the last viewing of it, I, I really didn't feel like David was sexually attracted to Anna. Mm-hmm. And I don't like. I felt like he had a brotherly respect and love for her, like Big brother energy. Yeah, like his his energy was not like, I I want to get rid of her boyfriend so that I can replace. Mm-mm. Like he's looking at her with concern. He's acting as if he's a like an adult figure or a, a brotherly figure to her. Like you're you're more fucked up than I am, so let me drive you home. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you these true things. I, I would really like this from like this. You're good. You'd be willing to make me a CD. Oh my God. That's so fucking cool. Like there's, there's a, like his energy towards her. While I think could be viewed as being sexual or interested. I just like, I just didn't get that vibe. And I, and I get the vibe from her that she is interested in him at certain points. Yeah. It ebbs and flows. Yeah. That she isn't it's definitely not at first. Yeah. Then it starts to be, mm-hmm. then it's not again. Yeah. So, which is also vibing with age. Yeah. She's 20. He's he's probably late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. It's undetermined. He's an undetermined age of a created monster. Yeah. He's, he's not a human. Um, <laughs> but it is, it is, it that is true. It, there is something interesting about the very family vibe of this story. It yeah. is about family and yeah. your family that you create versus mm-hmm. the one you're born into yep. and the one that sees you. And values and respects you and yeah. then murders you. Yeah. And then murders you, murders you dead. Which is a, such a bummer. No, and uh, speaking of family that you construct. Yeah. Let's talk about the or- the corporation yeah. that can literally construct a David. Yeah. And how bloody responsible they are for the blood. Yeah. Let's talk about, they just swoop in like they're going to go protect this family from this evil guy. Mm-hmm. Without doing any recon, yep. without doing any prep work, without yep. doing any fucking homework, they or, drive in with their guns blazing and just start shooting the house up, yep. not knowing if there's anybody inside. Yeah. What so, the shit? So to, to clarify that, they, they show up at uh, the Peterson house after finding out that uh, David is still a still alive and is possibly in the area. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they show up, they address Mrs. Peterson... And then she's like, "Yeah, he's right back there." And oh. and the the there she's hanging laundry, and David's has been helping her. And he went back in to get some more laundry. And as he walks back, 
the wind blows and a sheet goes up and he sees all the the people with guns he drops the laundry and the murders start happening like mm-hmm. the the massive just onslaught of violence and this is actually something that i wanted to 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 comment on as well he murders people like we see him kill in a scene earlier when he buys guns he like it's a, it's a hilarious scene between uh downton abbey uh can't hardly wait and uh, and by records <laughs> and bones and bones where you're like <laughs> This is an like this is an incredible scene. Like I'm just gonna view this as their characters from these other movies, and, and they're having an interaction that is completely off topic for who they are. But uh, but we see him kill those people, and it's so quick. Like he shoots uh, he shoots Empire Records in the face, mm-hmm. and then uh, Bones runs away, and he shoots uh, a guy the guy from Bones, one of the 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 squints from Bones in the back of the head as he's running away. And it's like it's all like it's so violent, fast. but it's it's so fast. Whereas when the army guys show up, when the 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 people from this corporation show up, the violence is so sustained. Yeah, it's prolonged, and, and it's really it's really harsh. Like the violence that David does is all is quick, and efficient, and uh, unexpected, and unexpected, and and you like. It, there's an element of just being like, okay, so like he's he's just putting people like he's putting people down, like whereas it's like a single shot, boom, yeah, and you're well, out. Whereas, whereas these guys who come into that Lance Riddick brings in with him to 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 contain and kill David are just spraying a house with bullets, oh just my God. without any sort of direction or or idea, like wild they, abandon. And there's something really interesting to me about the 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 difference between those two actions because he's David is really efficient and all these guys with guns with automatic weapons are just not. Yeah, it means proof that he's a far superior soldier than these guys. Something that interests me about it is that I think that the film is kind of saying that the military or these military men are hyper violent without intent. Mm. Like, like their intent is like their intent is to put David down, but they don't care who gets caught up in the uh, in the crossfire. Whereas, for the most part, David is acting very specifically and strategically with who he's killing and why. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end, when he's as you said in the the really beautiful scene where he throws the uh, throws the grenades and he's so upset. He has to kill a bunch of people that he doesn't need to kill because he's been put in the situation. And and I think that that's part of his frustration. He's just like, fucking hell, I have to kill these motherfuckers? God damn it. What the fuck did you guys make me do? Amazing. Like, I think that, I think he would rather, like, I'm not saying one is better than the other. No, I don't think so. Murder is not great. But I do think that the film is pointing out that there is a recklessness to the action of these military contractors that is worse that is much less motivated than what David is doing. Mm-hmm. And while David's are terrible acts, there's something really interesting about how... His precision. Yeah. It's not... There There wasn't a lot of collateral damage mm-hmm. to his murders. They're very specific. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could definitely say there's collateral damage to the guy that sold the guns. And yeah. Then, but you're... There's ripples of trauma. How there, like yes. how it how it goes out like is is bigger than the act. It's yeah. not just blanketing a house with. Yeah, 
He didn't go in. Gunfire. Yeah, he wasn't going in to murder the entire town. I mean, it's just the way that they rolled in and were so haphazard with their huge amounts of of bullets coming off of their bodies strapped everywhere. Just not even doing any research to find out if the kids were home, if Mm -hmm. everybody was home. It was crazy. Yeah. I definitely feel like that was a very specific critique. Yeah. Which I enjoyed thoroughly. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a fascinating aspect of the film that it ends with this huge bloodbath that is only the responsibility, truly only the responsibility of the military for oh, their yes. actions. They created the monster. Yeah. And they couldn't keep track of him. And and, and they and they created the they created this terrible event that they will just put on one person and be like, It's mm-hmm. he did this. That's mm-hmm. that's the reason. I'm like It's not our fault. Yeah, but like if we track backwards to where the initial ripple for this trauma uh, for this trauma uh, droplet started, it's you. Like mm-hmm. you started it. Like without your action, none of this shit happens. If you if you handle your business and you go and are like, "Okay, we're going to we're going to find out where all these people work and we're going to take them out so that they are safe." And then like if we can't get the mom who is who I'm not sure if she has a job, like it's never really presented, mm-hmm. but like we're gonna we're gonna just go and take her from her home. Yeah, there's so many ways you could be yep. sneaky. Yeah, they were not, which was I think a great critique. I think the last thing that I want to touch on, which I I briefly touched on before, but that mm-hmm. I want to finish with, is the final scene, mm-hmm. and that is just the two kids sitting there in the yeah. ambulance, not crying, not screaming, just sitting there with their head on each other's shoulder, and just being really really quiet. And obviously in a state of shock, but also just sort of reflecting. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the the quiet of that moment because you don't end a horror film very often with quiet. Yeah. You end with screaming and I'm just thinking of Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. at the end with the, <laughs> with Leatherface and his chainsaw like accidentally cutting himself and the yeah. girl screaming in the back of the truck. Yeah. Just, just doing a dance of a chainsaw. <laughs> oh my God. It's so sad. Like, it's like. Well, what's that? What's the dance of the uh, the bee, bumblebee? <laughs> but it, <laughs> but he, with the chainsaw. Yeah, but he's the bumblebee. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and so, so I loved how how really quiet it was as they sat there and reflected, and then you know you get the peak of that final firefighter coming out, and you mm-hmm. you have to wonder who's in that mask. Yeah, you see some piercing blue eyes behind yeah. it, and you're I like, think we know. That's, they're pretty. I think we know. Like her last line of "Oh fuck!" <laughs> such a great but end. It's probably great. Probably I mean, it's right. such a good. It's so good. Such good comedy. Yeah, it's such good comedy. Yep. So yeah, I just I really enjoyed that. But I think if you need a good Halloween bloodbath, yeah, and you want some comedy, yeah, and you think an amazing amount of fake blood is is good for your soul, mm-hmm. uh, I'm gonna have to recommend this. Yeah, I think it's a I. I think going in with the idea that you're going to have fun and that it's not supposed to be like you can enjoy the comedies of it and recognize that it's not like for all the things that we've talked about that are kind of serious about it. It's also just like it's a fucking fun film. It's like, so funny. Like it's just like it's supposed to be goofy. It's supposed to be weird. It's supposed to be like it's supposed to make you go. That's fucking stupid. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what the fuck is that? Like it. it's great. It's like it's a really, really fun film. Yeah. Yeah. So, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Do you have anything that you would like to uh, to recommend as a stumble upon as we walk out? Why, yes, I do. I think a perfect follow-up to the guest is the host. 
by Bong Joon-ho, which I believe came out in 2013, around the same time that this film came out. 2006. 2006? The host came out in 2006? Yes. Shut the front door. You're looking at the host that was uh, made by Stephanie Myers. <laughs> Much different what? film. What? Yep. Nope. Not what I meant. Uh-huh. Okay. So I'm talking about South Korean, Bong Joon-ho, the host, awesome monster movie. Yeah. But in the same vein of the guest, it is the host. Yeah. So we get the opposite. You uh-huh. know what I want? Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, it's it's also... Did you work all that for that joke? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thought of it right now because I'm so smart. <laughs> Much like you did all that research. All the research I did in Florence. <laughs> no, I was just thinking it's kind of the same vibe. It's got it's It's very funny. Mm-hmm. And it is absurd mm-hmm. as all get out. And it's also a, a dysfunctional family. Another dysfunctional family. Yep. We'll definitely talk about this down the road because yep. I really love this film. Mm-hmm. I would just highly recommend The Host. It's a great film. It's really well crafted. And oh. you're going to laugh. Yeah. But it's, you're also going to cry. Yeah. It, it's a it's a really, really good film. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend, Austin? I think I would like to uh, recommend Stumbling Upon, one of my favorite Jalo films, uh, a film called Torso mm. by Sergio Martino. Um, it's a film that, like, the thing about the Torso is that it has one of the best final girl sequences that I've ever seen in a film. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's the third act, the whole, like, last 30 minutes of the film is just the final girl sequence. And it's it's really, it's really well done. For a film, like, one of the things about Jalo films that kind of, and make them become less beloved, I think, in, in in cinema is the fact that you can condense them all to boobs and blades. And while there is all of that, and and in fact, the, the murderer, the reason that they're murdering is because they can't handle feminine sexuality. And it's pretty clear that that's, that's why this motherfucker's doing what he's doing. Like even even with all of the kind of hangups that you could have about uh, the politics of of that, it's so well done. The last thirty minutes, like the rest of the film, is really enjoyable, really fun. Mm-hmm. And and one thing that you should know about shallow films, if you want to uh, get involved in them in any way, or or specifically any of the Italian films of that era of the sixties and seventies, is mm-hmm. they didn't give a shit about recording audio at the time that they were uh, filming. So you will see really seemingly badly dubbed versions of these films. And that's just because the Italians didn't care. Mm-mm. Like when they were the, the the studio system there didn't care. So you would have people talking in all their native languages. So you have you'll have a scene where somebody's speaking English, German, Italian, and you're like, that person, what the fuck is going on? And it's because they were like, no, just speak your native language. We'll, we know the rhythm of how this goes. So there's an element of just this free-for-all chaos in the films that is also really, to me, inviting because it's just like, we don't care. We want to have mm-hmm. a good story and we're going to have a good story and you're going to fucking enjoy it. And it's and amazing so, energy. And so, like, uh, Torso. Like, I would recommend Torso. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just keep in mind, it's what, 1970s. Yeah, uh, like 1973 Okay, so, ish. you know, there's going to be things that don't age well. Yeah, like... Prepare yourself. <laughs> yeah, prepare yourself. <laughs> be aware it's not gonna it's not always gonna be smooth sailing no but they're definitely it's a great film and yeah. absolutely totally back you up on that yeah and i think the last thing i'm gonna recommend is kind of a 
unexpected bit. It's the book, The Final Girl Support Group by Grady Hendrix. Mm -hmm. We got to see him at Mahoning Drive-In here Mm -hmm. in Philly. There's this amazing drive-in that we love so much called Mahoning. And he did a, a lecture before one of the screenings one night. Yeah. And his lecture was fantastic. Yeah. He just jam-packed that hour he spoke with everything under the sun yeah. with Final Girls. So if Final Girls are your jam, yeah. you would probably really like his book. Yeah. Um, it just I think it came out last year, maybe this year, I'm not sure. Yeah. But it's called the Final Girls Support Group. And the guy was entertaining as all hell. Yeah, he so, was fucking amazing. Really enjoyed him. Yeah. And if you'd like to know more about what's coming up next... We'll post it in our Instagram stories. You can follow us on Instagram at Fishtown Films. We make independent cinema. Mm -hmm. So if you want to learn more about what we make, we'll definitely be talking about it later on down in the podcast line. But also you can always reach out to us in the comments or slide into our DMs Mm -hmm. and tell us what you think or make any recommendations of what you want us to talk about. Yeah. And uh, and we'll post up what we're going to watch next so you can watch it a little bit ahead of time and then chat with us about it. Thank you all for joining us today. Yeah, have a have a lovely rest of your day, evening, morning, midnight. I don't know. And we hope you had a really happy Halloween. Yeah, take care. <laughs>